1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there, isn't, for there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are wed. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and those who stumbled and are girded with strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, and the hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren has borne seven, and she who has many children has become feeble. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he has set the world upon them. He will guard the feet of his saints, and the wicked shall be silent in darkness, for by strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Amen. Well, friends, uh, in chapter 1, we considered Hannah's predicament in that she was childless and she prayed. And in answer to the prayer, we saw the Lord's provision in the gift that he gave her of a son, young Samuel. So as we come now to chapter 2, we turn to listen, as it were, to Hannah's next prayer, or to her praise. Uh, This is uh, often referred to as Hannah's song. Now we know that Hannah didn't have access to one of our favourite verses in the New Testament, Romans 8, verse 28, For we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. She did not have access to that verse. But, but isn't it clear, friends, from her prayer, that she was absolutely convinced of God's overruling providence in all things. She knew that God was working to uh, the end that he had planned. Now, I have no doubt that she would have been perfectly comfortable with and content to repeat the verses found in that little poem that we refer to from time to time. You know, the one that pictures God as a weaver and weaving the various strands into the purposes that he has for our lives and then particularly as you know the notion that not all of that pattern is immediately obvious to us you know certainly from this 
side of uh, eternity, looking at the canvas, as it were, from, from, from this side as opposed to what it will be like in glory as we look back and see the wonder of it all. But uh, the first goes uh, on, as, as, as you know, not until the loom is silent and the shutters cease to fly. Will God unroll the canvas and explain the reason why? The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern that he's planned. Now Hannah, through the rear view mirror, so to speak, is going to see that the rivalry... And the provocation of Penina, which was, as we saw from uh, chapter 1, certainly a painful thing. Uh, All of that um, rivalry and provocation, etc., was actually in the providence of God. It was used in her life to draw from her these heartfelt prayers that we're able to read and take comfort and encouragement from ourselves so she's able to see that obviously looking back and you're in the thick of it uh, you can't always see it so in chapter one the prayers that were marked by uh, vexation have now been replaced in chapter two by this prayer which is marked by exaltation or elation you know the reason being that God has provided. The reason being that God has looked upon his servant in her affliction and God has remembered her. And as she prays in this way, it becomes clear that her prayer breaks the bounds of her own particular circumstances. You see, friends, this prayer embraces Not only God's purpose for Israel, but ultimately God's purpose for the entire world. You see the bigger picture, the magnitude of it all. So for tonight, we're just going to look at verses 1 and 2. And just let's consider what God has done from the personal perspective of Hannah. What God has done from the personal perspective of Hannah. After all, although this goes beyond her immediate circumstances, as I've indicated, uh, it certainly, you know, includes them. Uh, But she is praying, she's singing out of the fullness of her heart. And you will notice there are three my's in verse 1. You know, my heart, my horn. And my enemies. Okay, three my's. So first of all, my heart. She says, my heart rejoices in the Lord. Now this doesn't mean that she suddenly had an an emotional surge. Uh, Heart, when it's used in the Bible, speaks of the epicenter of our existence. Maybe I should have unfolded that a bit more on Sunday morning when I'm talking about self-control and Quoted from Proverbs where Solomon says, you know, guard, keep your heart. You know, what do we mean by heart? And I said it's really the the epicenter of 
of you. So when the Bible thinks in terms of heart, it includes our minds, it includes our wills, it includes our affections, etc. So when she says, my heart rejoices or exults in the Lord, she's saying the very centrality of who I of who and what I am is caught up in him, caught up in God, caught up in Jehovah. Now think about this. It would be a stretch for her emotionally to be leaving behind this boy for whom she longed. I touched on that last week. So it's obvious to us that her rejoicing is not circumstantial because it would have been difficult for her, you know, to be leaving Samuel off. You know, any mother worth her salt having to do what she does would find that a, a painful experience. You know, to take the child that you've given birth to, take the child that you've weaned, that you've uh, sat on your knee and that you've nursed and you've loved you promised to give this child up. Painfulness of that. And yet, she says, my heart rejoices in the Lord. Now let's throw a New Testament text on that to show, throw a bit of light on it. It's a bit like Philippians chapter 4. You know, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. And we know that in spite of circumstances, because Paul had come through quite a, a, a few sticky wickets himself, he's able to say rejoice in the Lord always. You know, a rejoicing that goes beyond the circumstance. And it would be strange indeed, would it not, if uh, we were suggesting that this passage is teaching that Hannah was now rejoicing, um, you know, because she's not going to be she's not going to be looking after Samuel anymore. You know that's why she's rejoicing. Uh, you know, I've had this way in for X amount of years, and he hasn't slept a wink. And I don't I forget what sleep is myself. And uh, he hit the terrible twos eighteen months and never came out of it. And great, here you are, Samuel. <laughs> I'm rejoicing. Yeah, it would be strange to say, you know, that's what the text is, is teaching. That would be ridiculous. No. No, she says, my heart. And then you will notice, not only my heart rejoices, but you'll notice my horn. Now, what does, what does this mean? Well, horn in the Bible is a picture of strength. And again, You'll be familiar with that uh, reference in Psalms again and again and again. That particular reference to God being our horn, what God being our strength, uh, comes through. And the picture is, I guess, if you could type, if you could imagine, uh, you know, every so often you might see these amazing pictures of uh, deer in the hills of the mountains. And their amazing antlers and their expressions sometimes captured in a photograph of power and might. Or perhaps uh, 
maybe a better analogy, a rhinoceros, you know, with, you know, that big horn. That is a, such a picture of its uh, magnificent strength and, and power. And you, you look at it and you say, well, I'm glad that that thing is nowhere near me. You know, especially with that big horn, you know, it, it instills that uh, type of uh, response maybe. And maybe I'm reading a wee bit too much into that from my childhood, you know. Going off on a tangent for a second. Um, used to, uh, you know, my sister used to take me to the, the pictures on Saturday afternoon in the 60s. There was always those B-movies B, B on. And, uh, you know, some of them were, um, you know, of safaris in Africa. And there would always be the rhinoceros, you know, that was chasing after the folks in safari in their truck. And even though it had those wee stumpy legs, you think it could never run. In the film, it always seemed to manage to run fast enough to be able to be button the, the truck with its big horn. And she is a wee boy, like. You know, coming out of the pictures and getting the bus home, I'd say to my sister, we'll sit in the top deck because I was thinking if a rhinoceros comes running, I want to be upstairs. You know, it still is that, that bit of fear. And yet, if it was a good day and she decided we're going to walk home, I'd be looking around saying, where can I run if a rhinoceros suddenly appears? Um, not that you'd find a rhinoceros running down Hollywood Road in Belfast. But as a, as a child, I'm just saying, you know, the, the, the type of fear and the awesomeness that sometimes can be a, attached to these, to these horns of a, of a puny animal. And yet we're talking here about the almightiness of God. And he being a horn, he being a source of, of strength. And, uh, well, Hannah says, my heart rejoices in the Lord, my horn is exalted. And remember, it's only a few verses, isn't it? Since she was a blubbering mess. It's only a few verses since she was crying all the time. It's only a few verses since she wasn't eaten. She had gone off her food. It's only a few verses since she was deeply, deeply distressed and vexed in spirit. So what has happened to her? Well, God is her strength. God is her horn. And you see, she's discovered what we were just singing in our opening verse, uh, him and you and Christ alone, that he is our strength. He is our song. He is the one who gives us hope. And she is hoping in the Lord. That is given expression by her lips. My heart rejoices. My horn is exalted in the Lord. And notice the third my, where she says, I smile. And literally, might have a little uh, footnote, a marginal note, um, where it says, uh, literally, my mouth is enlarged. Okay, I smile, literally, my mouth is enlarged, enlarged up my enemies, because I rejoice in your salvation. ESV renders it, my mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. NIV, my mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. Now, notice that she's referring there to enemies. 
plural. Okay? Not uh, enemy singular. And I, and I think it's important to note that. Simply because that ought to keep us and save us from simply saying that this kind, this is a kind of vindictive response from from Hannah. You know, uh, you know, I rejoice, uh, I smile at my enemy. You know, taking a sideward glance at Penina. I'm glad we're sticking it to you now. You know, maybe there was a bit of that in her mind. She would be, guess, less than human, you know, not to be thinking, you know, along those lines. But, you know, it's enemies she is referring to here. It's just not a, it's a vindictive thing against her, her, the one who had been a rival for so long. Um, so... What, what is she referencing here when she uses the plural? Um, I, would, I would say that, you know, the, she's just hearkening back to God's dealings with his, with his people. Because when God delivered his people in times past, when he brought salvation, well, there's in the book of Judges or the, the children of Israel out of Egypt, it was the enemies of God that were defeated. It was the enemies of God that were subdued. And I think Hannah's incorporating that here in this, in this prayer. The triumph to which she refers is the triumph of the living God over the enemies. Of the living God over those who oppose his covenant people. My friends, when you... Think about this for a moment. Uh, you know, this opening part of her prayer, we might be tempted to say, you know, her reaction seems to be over the top. You know, after all, she's, she's not the first person to have a baby. You know, lots of people have babies, and lots of people, you know, pause to pray after they, they've had a, a baby. And you look at what Hannah is saying here, and you think, you know, we know you're grateful, Hannah, but, you know, it's quite a prayer. Um, so what are you on about? Well, remember her request, the one that she had made back in chapter 1, when she had sought the Lord for help. In chapter 1, verse 11, she used phraseology, which related to the people of God. Okay, not, not just her own personal circumstances. She used phraseology which related to the people of God. Verse 11, chapter 1, she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, in other words, she says, you're the Lord of the armies of, uh, of, uh, of heaven. O Lord of the armies of heaven, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant, Referring to affliction there, she's referring to, you know, uh, the circumstances of God's people in the past. Uh, you know, Exodus. And God looked upon the affliction of his, of his people. And so the language that she uses there is the language of the people of God in the past during times of affliction. 
They had called to God out of their affliction. They had called to God in their affliction. So she appeals in her request for God to do what he's done before. Look upon me, she says, in the way that you've looked upon your people in the past. That's what she's saying in verse 11 of chapter 1. And now in chapter 2, she is actually echoing the language of Israel during the occasions of those great deliverances. When God answered the people of God out of their affliction. When the people of God were delivered by the power of God. And then they rejoiced and exulted in their deliverance. And so Hannah understands. And God willing we ought to be, we ought to be beginning to understand. That there is a connection between what God has done for Hannah individually. And what he is doing for his people corporately. You will notice in verse 2 that her song declares the incomparability of God. You know, no one is holy like the Lord. For there is none beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. You see, our God, he is in his power and in his perfection and in his wisdom and in his might. He is a rock. He is a refuge. He is a strong There is none like you. No one else could do the things that you, O God, have done. Now what Hannah says here in verse 2, what she says here is a declaration, comes as a question in Isaiah 40, declaring the might and the power of God. Isaiah takes this notion and he poses it in a series of questions. So if you flick over to Isaiah 40 for a moment. Just uh, verses 18 and 20, breaking into the chapter. Obviously, we've looked at Isaiah 40 a few times. You looked at Isaiah 40 a while ago, didn't you, John? Or was it further on? Uh, no, uh, 42. Yeah, 42. So 40, it was myself maybe a year ago. But anyway, we've looked at Isaiah 40 a, couple, uh, a few times. Uh, And the prophet says, or God, through the prophet, uh, speaks. Verse 18, Isaiah 40. To whom will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to him? You're going to liken God to an idol? You're going to compare him to an idol? That's what he was on to say in verse 19. The workman molds an image. The goldsmith overspreads it with gold. And the silversmith casts silver chains. Whoever is too impoverished for such a contribution chooses a tree that will not rot. He seeks for himself a a skillful workman to prepare a carved image that will not totter. And so you see what he's saying here. You know, know, it has to be something that has a solid base. You know, you're not going to be making it out of plywood or chipboard. You know, this has to be a bit of substance to this. You know, you don't want to put it in, in a place where if you open a window and there's a bit of a, a breeze that the stupid thing falls. 
and then you're in the embarrassing position of having to say, oh, excuse me, while I lift my idol. It's just blew off the table. God says, is that what you're going to liken me to? To whom will you compare God? Don't you know, he says, verse 21 and 23, don't you know, have you not known, have you not heard, has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. You know, God is not impressed with Richie Sunak. He's not impressed with Joe Biden. He's not impressed with Vladimir Putin or any of them. You know, uh, any rulers throughout history for that matter. You know, just look back at verse 15 for a second. Behold, the nations are as a drop in the bucket and are counted as the small dust on the scales. This is the God that Hannah cries out to. Now this is the God that we are going to come before in a few moments and cry out to. Also this is the God that Hannah exalts. This is the God that we exalt. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. No one. Now, Hannah, I guess, would have been very happy in this declaration to have employed uh, the help of Miriam and her tambourine in Sambal. You know, if you don't know about, you know, Miriam and her little uh, dance with her tambourine, you can read about it in your leisure in Exodus chapter 15. The chapter includes, you know, uh, Moses... uh, Song of deliverance after the come out of Egypt. And towards the end of the chapter in verse 20, um, Miriam comes in and Miriam says, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to sing. Uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to dance as a result of this great deliverance. And she takes her tambourine or trimble, as it says in uh, the verse, and, and she dances. It's a... It's a Marvelous little picture. You know, Moses has sung his song of deliverance. Aaron is there, obviously. The people of God are there. And there she is dancing away at this great deliverance. And the other ladies say, well, we're going to do the same. You know, they join in. And, you know, you you read it sometimes and you think, how stodgy is so much of of our stuff in, in comparison. You know, we sing about strength and we sing about might and we sing about power. In the, in, in the name of the Lord and how great our God is. And we hardly open our mouths sometimes. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mumble. You know, goodness gracious, what would happen if a Miriam came into our congregation and brought her wee tambourine with her? You know, not that I'm advocating it like, or, or suggesting it. Um, but you see, you see what I'm saying? This wonderful expression of joy because of what God has done. And how God is, God is delivered. 
you, you see, we're not looking at here, or we're not dealing with you know a higher power like alcoholics analysis, you know, seek your seek your higher power. It's not that we're dealing with a philosophical construct. It's not that we are dealing with a concept. We're not dealing with something, you know, look inside yourself and, you know, find the hope within yourself. No, we're dealing here with the living God. And Hannah was dealing with the living God who heard her cry and answered her. And so Hannah says, from a personal perspective, I exult in God who heard me in my circumstances and delivered. Yeah, my heart rejoices. He is my strength. He is my He is my song. And I deride the enemies of God because they are the enemies of God. And I rejoice and I magnify God because he is God. And his enemies are nothing before him.